0: Would you pray with me? Father, we do ask this morning that you would give us your Holy Spirit, continue to give us your Holy Spirit, that it may, uh, he may open the word of God to us, that we might understand it, we might uh, hear it, we might understand it, we might apply it. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Well, please be seated. Good morning again. It's great to to join together and to see you and see some faces that we haven't seen uh, recently. Welcome. And uh, if you're visiting with us, we're glad that you're here. I want to ask a question this morning as we start. Where do you get your information? When you're trying to stay informed, when you're trying to uh, solve problems, when you're trying to navigate life, what is your go-to source? Now, when I was a kid, I had three main resources. I had the newspaper, which I found much more helpful when I realized that it had contained more than just funny comic strips. Um, I had my parents, who turns out were much more reliable than, uh, and resourceful than I could have ever imagined. And then we had 31 gleaming volumes of the Encyclopedia Britannica. Perhaps you had the same gleaming volumes. They were always in perfect and pristine shape. Which is really—it's uh, not a, a craftsmanship issue; it's a use issue. I mean, we rarely got these volumes down because partly because it was like a workout, right? I mean, these things were huge. Um, I googled it, and you can get an entire set of the 1985 Encyclopedia Britannicas for about 75 bucks, and they're all in mint condition. That's what it said. <laughs> Uh, So, I mean, who else needs anything, any more information than what was included in the Encyclopedia Britannica? Now, things haven't changed all that much about our kind of go-to resources, I think. We seek out the news, albeit with more choices and different delivery methods to tell us what's happening in the world. We seek out trusted sources like our parents or wise friends to help us understand the world and to live in it. And we go to the Encyclopedia Britannica of our day, right? It's called the Internet. And it is also shiny and gleamy and has all kinds of things to, go to learn from it. You want information, it's available to us 24-7, and it's in the palm of your hand. All you have to do is go to Excite.com. That is the leading search engine, and you can find information in that, right? Do you ever remember that? There was a search engine called Excite.com. It still exists, but Google has eaten it up. So we go to the Internet, we go to our friends, we go to the news to understand, to solve problems, to navigate our lives. But let me ask you a question. When it comes to the deep questions of life, where do you get your information? Where do Christians find accurate, reliable, and transformative information about life? The Bible, that's right. <laughs> we go to the horse's mouth. Now, uh, if we go to Jesus, right? And if you just want to say Trevor just equated Jesus with a horse, that's not what I mean, but that's just the saying, right? We go to the original source material. After all, Jesus, he's the one who says in John chapter 10 that I have come so that you might have life and you might have it to the full. Peter makes the confession in John chapter 6 that he's the one who has the words of eternal life. When he says this, Lord, where else shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And our gospel reading this morning is an introduction. We just gave you, we mercifully just gave you 12 verses of the Sermon on the Mount. It's actually three chapters long in Matthew, but we gave you 12 verses, and it's an introduction to the words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. And the Apostle Matthew records more of Jesus' words than any other gospel. And I would suggest that Jesus' words and his teachings, his Information is just as important to us today as it was to those who heard it 2,000 years ago. Because in them, we find the character of this life that Jesus promises. And these words, even today, bring proper perspective, it brings hope and even joy to every Christian. They are, as the writer of the book of Hebrews says, alive and active. And they help us dissect and discern the world in which we live. Take a moment and let this sink in, friends. Jesus, he has the words of eternal life. And God the Father sent his Son down into the world from heaven to reveal himself and his words to you and to me. And then Matthew took the time to write down these words. And God, by his Holy Spirit and the church, has guided those words and guarded those words and maintained them so that today you might actually read them. I mean, is that not incredible? Is that not remarkable? And if God has gone through this much effort to speak his words of life to you and to me, then think how valuable they must be. Think how important they are to yours in my life. And so this morning we turn to the Sermon on the Mount. Oswald Chambers, a, a great Scottish evangelist and pastor, he wrote this. He said, the Sermon on the Mount is a statement of life. And I want to focus this morning on four specific statements that Jesus makes about our life in him. About your life in him. And he says this. In Jesus, we have a life to live, we have a life to lead, we have a life to lose, and we have a life that lasts. Four L words, make it easy to remember. A life to live, a life to lead, a life to lose, and a life that lasts. And so we're picking up in our sermon series on his story, Jesus' story, And Jesus has called, uh, so what's happened so far is Jesus has called his disciples and has been traveling throughout Galilee teaching and healing. Now, not surprisingly, Matthew writes that as he's doing this, Jesus' fame is spreading. And as a result, big crowds are following him. And Matthew 5 begins as Jesus, seeing the crowd, he sits down, because that's what rabbis and teachers did to teach the people. They sat down and taught them. And as we read this, I want you to resist the urge, as we uh, we look at the Sermon on the Mount, to resist the urge to assume that what Jesus is doing is creating a new moral code, a list of things that you must do. What he's saying is that our blessedness doesn't come from what we do. It comes from who we are. And out of which comes uh, the ability to live for him. The Sermon on the Mount is descriptive before it is prescriptive. It describes what a Christian is before talking about what a Christian should do. We are, you are if you're following Jesus this morning, blessed completely in Christ. Because of the grace and love Jesus has shown you, and because by faith you've decided to follow him. Because you are blessed in him, you actually have a life to live. Look with me at verse 6 in your bulletin. It says this, Jesus says, "'Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied.'" the Christian the Christian life is characterized by a hunger and thirst for righteousness or to put more simply, a hunger for God. St. John of the Cross, a, a 16th century priest and mystic wrote, here's how you know whether a man really loves God. Is he satisfied with anything less than God? The life you and I have to live is for God. Is he the one today? that you're most satisfied with. I want to invite you to do a little exercise with me. Close your eyes for a moment and think back over this last week. Where have you spent most of your time? Where have you spent most of your time? Now, what did you devote most of your energy towards? Finally, where did you spend your money? Open your eyes. That's what you're most satisfied with. That's what you're trying to be most satisfied with. I mean, how many of you have picked up your phone and just death-scrolled the news? As if the news or more information will give you life rather than the reading the words of Jesus that are bringing you real life. All of those things that you thought through, they simply do not have the power to satisfy you. Jonathan Edwards said, the enjoyment of God is the only happiness with which our souls can be satisfied. My friends... We have a life to live we need to put down the phone turn off the tv and pick up the living word of god you remember a few years ago there was a saying it was popular it was put on hats it's an acronym yolo right you remember that you only live once friends for the christian that is total bunk christian people have a life to live you don't only live once you live on it isn't about this moment it is about a life characterized by a hunger and thirst for god the statement of life that jesus is making in in matthew 5 verse 6 you have a life to live that life is to be lived with me and for me don't settle for less second jesus makes another statement about life you have a life to lead it's there in verse 9 blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called sons of god jesus is all about bringing peace to the world Think about uh, when Jesus was born, the, 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 the song of the great heavenly host. It said, glory to God on the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he's pleased. Jesus brings peace, peace with God that brings peace with others. And Jesus sends out the disciples to continue to bring the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven to others, to lead the world to peace, to be peacemakers Friends, you have a life to lead for others. You have a life to lead. And when Christians walk and lead in the world, one of the byproducts is peace where we go. We bring parties together across their lines of differences, therefore reconciling them to God through Jesus and to each other. Have you noticed this how desperately our world needs peacemakers how desperately our country needs peacemakers and perhaps even this how desperately your home and your family needs peacemakers and i wonder are you the peacemaker you have a life to lead And your life is to bring peace and to make peace wherever you go. The third third statement that Jesus makes about life in the Sermon on the Mount is this. You have a life to lose. Just looking at verse 10 and 11, these first disciples came to know this reality uh, of Jesus' words so clearly, right? Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. These first disciples, they were the ones who became the first martyrs. They faced persecution because they hungered for God, because they followed after Jesus. And a life that we live for Christ will be a life that is lived in conflict with your culture and your world. When you live for God in order to bring peace and lead other people to Him, inevitably you'll come to a place where it will come with a worldly expense. And friends, Western Christianity, that's all of us by the way, has a really hard time with this. We've come to believe that the blessedness of the kingdom life is found in good, comfortable, and leisurely living. We think the wisdom of the world, as Paul writes in verse in First Corinthians, is wiser in opposition to what Paul writes. We think that the wisdom of the world is wiser than God's wisdom. We refuse to believe that Jesus is calling us to live for him and in such a way that it'll cause us to give up anything for the sake of Christ and for the sake of others. But here's what Paul concludes with in our reading from 1 Corinthians. God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. Our lives lived for Christ will be a life that is lived in conflict with our culture and our world. And a life lived for Christ is about putting ourselves second. It is about putting ourselves second not demanding what we think is our rights we are to bring peace to the world and we are to lose our rights for him we might lose our reputation we might lose our money and we will certainly lose some of our time and we shouldn't try to avoid this but to actually celebrate it because jesus says that when you live for me and for the sake of others uh, it is a sign of true blessing. Yours, he says then, is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when all of these things take place. This means you are truly his. And you are truly living for him. It's a result of your blessed relationship. You have a life to lose. And if it cost you your very life, then so be it. Jonathan Edwards continued, he says this, to go to heaven fully to enjoy God is infinitely better than the most pleasant accommodations here. It is better for you and for me to lose our very lives so that we might go be with Jesus. Now I'm not saying that we should you know start smoking and drink real hard and all this stuff just so we can get there faster but here's a life perspective in the gospel it is better for you to go be with God than to be here a hundred percent every day for everyone and Jesus came into the world so that you might. Lose your life here and gain your life with him. That's what he did on the cross. That's what he secured by washing you of your sin. So that you might be eternally at home in your life with Christ. You're better off. Why? Because you and I have a life that lasts. How's that? You and I have a life that lasts. In Christ, the kingdom is is the kingdom of heaven is yours that's where jesus has started jesus started in verse three if you're in me you're blessed and if you've exchanged the word the kingdom of the world for the kingdom of heaven you're blessed if you've accepted me and traded the death that comes by sin for the life that comes by jesus's death on the cross then you have gained the kingdom You have nothing to worry about. You have eternal life. You have a life that lasts. And friends, that's the love story of the Bible. Because of God's love for you, you can have a life that lasts. No matter what happens to you in the world, nothing will separate you from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And that's good news. You have a life that lasts, and he calls you to lead a life that matters. Friends, that's information to live by. And I want to invite you, in response to Jesus' words of life, I want to suggest that there are two things, there are at least two things, but I'm going to point out two, that you might do with these words this morning and this week first it might be helpful and it might be necessary for you to use jesus's statement of life found in the sermon on the mount as a metric for the life that you're leading you might ask yourself am i seeking satisfaction with anything else with anything less than god Am I leading others and being a peacemaker in the lives of my family and my community and my world? Is my life in Christ actually costing me anything? Am I confident that I actually have a life that lasts eternally? Friends, when I ask these questions of myself, I realize how much further I have in my life in Christ. Not to be saved by my effort, not to be earn it, but to live into. Jesus came into the world so that I might have life to the full today. Jesus came into the world so you might have life to the full today. And living by his statements of life will bring that fullness to you and to me. Because I seek satisfaction in other things. And there are plenty of times in my family, in my community, even in the church where I haven't done what brings peace and what makes peace. Sometimes I've taken a few easy routes rather than the one Jesus has laid out for me. Perhaps that's you as well. The anecdote anecdote for this is to go to the source of life. To listen to the words of life. To listen to the words of Jesus. To let them nourish you and shape you. Because in these words, as Paul says in our reading from 1 Corinthians, is the power of God. The word of the cross, the message of the gospel, he says, is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved... It is the power of God. He has not withheld his power from us. And it is ours to go and to be nourished by. If you want to experience and live life fully for Christ, then we must, as Oswald Chambers said, give time to the reading of the Bible. We must read it routinely because the effect of reading the Bible is as real as the effect of fresh air to us physically. It is the lifeblood of the Christian that God himself sent his son to speak his words to you and to me so that we might live by them and be nourished by them and find life in them. So I want to encourage you. We've given you a taste this morning of Jesus's first major teaching in the Sermon on the Mount before you do anything else today, before you go home and watch the football game or for me, before I go home and take the nap while the football game is on the TV let's go and read the words of life three chapters long, take your bulletin with you because it will tell you where to start, Matthew chapter 5 and go to the end of Matthew chapter 7 let Jesus' words about life nourish you before you seek anything else out and as we have been now nourished by his word, we're going to continue on in worship to be nourished from his actual life. We're going to receive from him. We're going to go to his table and receive his body and his blood through which, we, uh, through which sin has been overcome, by which we are saved and cleansed from all unrighteousness so that we might actually have life. Let's pray. Father, I do thank you. Thank you that you did not leave us to fend for ourselves. Lord, that you didn't, Father, that you did not leave us to navigate uh, millions and millions and millions of web pages of information and voices who speak and all kinds of sources. But you gave us the ultimate source. You gave us your Son. Would you help us to go to. And hear his words in the scriptures. So that we might live life to the full today. In Jesus' name, amen.